All right, folks, we're here for episode 99 of Biomast, otherwise known as Here Be Dragons. Uh, so we've got a cool show for tonight on uh, episode 99 as we kind of build our way up to the uh, the centennial show here in the next uh, week and a half or so. Uh, but uh, tonight is is kind of interesting because what we've done is we've, we've kind of wanted to focus down onto one sort of specific topic that has a lot of different threads we can go down the road. Uh, and we'll kind of get into that with our special guest from Team Dragon Punk. Uh, and, and it's a really interesting grassroots sort of uh, gaming event or really not even an event but a happening that you could you'd say it's a big social media media background on it but long story short uh we've got some folks in the communities gamers just like you uh that are actually swaying how games are being delivered and produced uh for the masses so to speak so if you don't see a game that you like you like exactly maybe just maybe there might be a way that you can work on making that game what you really want it to be yourself We've got uh, a guy here representing us, a team of folks that are, are kind of doing that literally as we speak. Uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and kick off some introductions real quick, and we'll get into the meat of this show. Bait, you're up first, brother. Hey, everybody. My name is Bait. I'm a uh, writer for the Biomass blog, gamer, and new dog owner. If you can hear that in the background, I do apologize. Okay, before we go any further, Bait, what kind of dog is it? It's a fucking golden doodle, and I want to kill it already, but I love that damn dog so much. Okay, for the record, anybody that's listening that has any affiliations with PETA, we do not believe, (laughs) nor do we condone anything that Bait just said, for the record. (laughs) I'm not going to do that to the dog. He's just annoying. I swear to God. I'm just saying. I didn't sleep last night. I'm sorry. It's okay. Trust me. Wait till you have a kid. It'll work out just just the same. Uh, All right, Pokey. My name is Pokey Draven from OSG Planetary Operations. I help write the blog, and I'm a co-host here on the show. Alrighty, Zell. I'm Soraya Zell. Um, you can find me usually playing other games and not paying attention to the podcast during the show. This is a true statement. Uh, and uh, our special guest, Dan, please, quick introduction. Hi, I'm Dan Connery. I'm leading Team Dragon Punk and making the you know X total conversion Totally not Shadowrun homage ripoff bullet mod. <laughs> All right, and we're gonna get, we're that's a lot to unpack there, and we're gonna get into that here in a second. And I'm Jason Larison, uh, also of OSG Planetary Operations, uh, and one of the purveyors of the uh, biomass multimedia slash. Well, Empire. We call it an empire. I feel a lot like Matt Damon when he refers to himself as a space pirate in The Martian when I I say that we have a multimedia empire. Just saying. Uh, So without further ado, let's go ahead and and kind of poke right into the show. Um, For general, uh, any kind of general news notes that we want to punch out there, guys? I I had one note if you guys didn't. I I got one thing. Yeah, go ahead, Um, Zell. Is uh, actually Microsoft's done some uh, announced some cool stuff uh, this this last week. They had their kind of build developer conference, um, and the thing that I thought was really cool was actually some of the stuff they're working on with gaming with their with the uh, Universal Windows platform apps. Um, and those are uh, UWP is for those who don't know is like the um, the name for those uh, Metro style become into modern style into now Universal apps, um, which is the Windows eight and forward style um, kind of phone ish apps. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that they did recently was they released, uh, like a remastered version of Gears of War, um, I think about a month ago, um, as a universal app. And, um, there were a few different things that people complained that you couldn't do with universal apps, 
as in terms of game modding and there's the the vertical sync option isn't available um and stuff like that but there is they are working on those features and they were actually showing off how you they could convert a program that was completely written to run as a normal app as a universal windows app they took like a um i think they took like age of empires 2 or something that had steam built in and they they ran it in the the universal windows platform even though with all the steam features still working um and one of the kind of cool things about this is that um they're able to take these universal packages and they can run the same exact app on both windows pcs and uh xbox ones um and so like the new quantum break game is going to exclusively release through this i think in the next week or two um and that will be simultaneously windows windows 10 and and xbox one um so some of the kind of cool things i was thinking about is that there's actually gonna be like the ability to make pc games go to console natively really really easily with it um you know who knows maybe maybe you'll have an excuse for for whatever counts for dust next to be on on like xbox <laughs> instead of playstation it's a long way of going around it but that is actually kind of interesting it's it's just it's a it's a neat it's a neat amount of stuff that they announced for the platform the question you want to add is optimization though and, and that goes back all to like virtual code like java versus c plus plus and how well does one if it's you how well is it optimized for any specific platform and not to hijack your your topic there, but that's just something to watch in the future. Yeah, and uh, I mean, obviously the reason that this is supposed to work decently is because um, Xbox One is moving to more or less run on the same operating system as uh, as Windows itself. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, and this is something we've touched on the show in the past, is the, you know, the the gradual convergence of console and PC games, uh, and that was one of the things that actually attracted a lot of us to see you know to the original CCP games that started the pro, the uh, the podcast here, because Dust Five One Four in its the the concept behind it was a cross platform activity between console and PC, uh, and you know they they actually did make a connection, however small that soda straw was that they were pushing game content back and forth, uh, but. These type of things where you see more, uh, not not really homogenous, but more modular sort of content that's been able to move between console and um, and PC, I think probably can only be good in the future. Now, I acknowledge there's a lot of technical hoops that I vaguely understand at best that have to be you know met to get through this, but it seems like it, it's only it's only a natural progression of where we're at. All right, let's see. I had one quick bit of news uh, for the team, or well, it's not really news; it's more just a bit of a confirmation with some of the original, with some of the uh, initial. Excuse me, boy, I'm having a stroke tonight. Some of the initial um, reviews coming out for E Valkyrie, and they look as we kind of have expected here on the show, uh, pretty pretty solid. And it definitely looks like that's going to be the kind of the the bell cow game for uh, a lot of the initial VR offerings coming out on the hardware side. So just wanted to throw a quick confirmation out there and you can, you can do a quick Google search on your own, but there are quite a few uh, initial reviews of the Valkyrie game that have come out that, uh, that really tout some of the work that they've done up at CCP Newcastle. Uh, in particular, it's, you know, there is some, it's a little light on game content, but the actual minute to minute sort of uh, flying in space shooting is excellent. The game is just looks beautiful if you've not gotten your hands on it at some point um and apparently the story and the voice acting uh got a little bit of a kudos as well which is 
uh, pretty interesting because there's a there's a pretty deep lore aspect and, and really good IP that is the EVE Online universe that they can dig into. So that was just my one bit of news uh, with some of the um, initial reviews for Valkyrie out. I got Tacon news too. It's also been confirmed that, as should surprise no one really, that when you install the Oculus Rift software, it installs a permanent service on your computer that collects all sorts of information about all the different applications and things that you run. And uh, Facebook not only collects all that data, um, whether you're using the Oculus Rift presently or not, it also has uh, nothing in its terms, uh, its privacy policy that prevents it from, them from selling that data in a non-anonymous fashion to, to third parties. So there's that. I mean, does this surprise you that Lex Zuckerberg would do that? No, no, not at all. It doesn't surprise me at all. Um, wait, wait. Oh, that's the other thing. Quick check. Has everyone actually seen, done their, did they ho- do their homework this week? Did we get, I everyone th- seen I think, Batman? I think everybody's seen Batman versus No, Superman. and I don't really care at this point. Bay, you, you oh, good God, Bay. I don't care. I really don't care. I'm just, we, we had this running dialogue with Bate about his inability to catch pop, pop culture references from anybody above the age of 18. No, no, no. <laughs> Fuck off! I can totally catch pop culture references. It just depends. You you didn't know what Clark's was, man. Oh come on! Fuck off! I've I've seen it now. I got you. I got you, okay. bro. So I have not seen it, but what's interesting to me. Oh, that now we're gonna get the guest. They're shit. apparently filming it to some great expense. They're apparently filming uh, parts of Suicide Squad to make it like more funny and less Zack Snyder serious. So and it's interesting. No, I did. I actually, no, I actually saw that in a couple different places. Uh, that they are, they were throwing around terms like between seventy and ninety million, uh, which that's not. You can make like two Deadpool movies for that, literally. So I, I, I'm going to assume that that dollar figure was really high, but they are apparently uh, going back and doing some very serious work on Suicide Squad, which, for the record, generally was. They thought it was in pretty good shape. I did. There was no rumblings that there was drama with that movie at all. Uh, there was no kind of out there stuff with that movie. So the fact that they're probably taking a cue from the uh, the reaction to Batman versus Superman is, I, I think, what they're trying to do is, in in all seriousness, I take my total aside because you you hooked me with you know like the nerd stab. Um, I really think what they're trying to do right now is figure out a way how to unpaint themselves out of corners that Zack Snyder put them in, in terms of the DC extended universe. That's what it's called. DCEU, the DC extended universe. Cause he painted a lot of different stories and characters into corners, the way Batman versus Superman was done. So I think what they're trying to do is, you know, everything but a soft reboot in terms of the, the DC movie universe. So I, that probably leads exactly to what Dan was saying is they're, they're trying to figure out how to react to uh, what they thought was going to be like a ground, like a big tent pole ground, you know, groundbreaking for their, uh, their DC universe. Is Zack Snyder making that movie? Which one? Suicide Squad. No, I don't. I don't. Think oh, thank God. No, not, not only has yeah, so it already be, been be made, I think uh, I just read, I can't confirm this, that Zack Snyder just got fired from pretty much all the other new DC movies. Yes. Oh, thank God. If thank true. God, man. That guy cannot make a fucking movie. Well, in my it, opinion. <laughs> he can make a movie, but God damn, man. Well, the, the movie, like, if you knew nothing about those two characters, if like, you literally knew very little about Batman and Superman, you, you'd be like, wow, that's a really heavy movie that, like, is about cartoon characters my kid watches, you know. Um, the 
the thing that kind of bugs me is that there were so many, there's just so much, it was just, that movie was a hot mess. I mean, it was literally a lot of great pieces and components put together by somebody who did not know how to follow and follow the instructions, the instruction manual. It, it was, it was not good. There was, that movie had just a ridiculous amount of potential of it, and you could see it all throughout the movie. It just not done well, <laughs> but all right. Now that we, now that we have uh, yet again, taken shots at Zack Snyder, which I am very okay with. And for the record, now that we're on that note, I would like to point out on this day that uh, it is, it is official that, Deadpool is the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. For all you people in the show, well deserved. Well for deserved. all you nice. people in the show that were throwing stones at me when I first started talking about the Deadpool movie a year ago, ha! Most important question, what's number two? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, uh, it, yes, it, it does. it, it's probably hey, 50 look, Shades. Look, man. No, actually, it's, it's Passion of the Christ, and but you know, uh, oh, okay. I, I actually think that Jesus would be okay with not being the most like profitable R-rated movie. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> well, I mean, sure that's in the Bible. It's okay. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Am I right? This this is why we have this is why we have this show. We can cover everything from PETA to Greenpeace to to mall rats, slackers, Deadpool. It's legit. Uh, so, on that note. Uh, what I w- what I would like to do is kind of hop into uh, sort of the, the main segment of the show where uh, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a deep dive on uh, a project that Dan and the folks that he's working with have kind of come up, you know, literally a very organic thing uh, that's happened. That I I am I, I did a little bit of into uh, you guys have heard us talk about Herbert Screams and we've covered uh, some of the Shadowrun games that they've put out here recently. Uh, you know that was sort of a a old school gamer kind of thing that came back, uh, an old tabletop RPG that they'd really uh, had several interesting video uh, video game interpretations of over the, over the past few years, and it never really took off. But they had a, a started out with a really really uh, slick kind of uh, Steam game slash tablet game, and it kind of burgeoned out into a couple different episodes. But then we kind of looked into Hairbrain Schemes, and they've done a lot of they they've really started a uh, kind of a reanimation of a lot of the old RPGs, tabletop games, and things like that that folks probably back in the early '90s were playing when they were kids. So, as all that was happening, uh, I started noticing uh, Dragon Punk on Twitter at Dragon Dragon Punk Games on Twitter, uh, and it was interesting because it was all related to Shadowrun because I was a big Shadowrun fan growing up, and I loved the, the Hairbrain Schemes work. Big fan of Jordan Wiseman and Mitch Gittleman. Great. Just great dudes uh, up there in Seattle, you know, really working for the for the fans ultimately. Um, and so I started noticing this at Dragonpunk uh, Twitter feed, and it was really interesting. And it looked like uh, they were trying to tag on with some, uh, you know, some other video game offerings and stuff. And so I kind of saw it in the background here and there, but then actually it started taking off, and I started noticing that there was actual artists being engaged there were actual game designers and developers being engaged uh in a in a fairly formal and transparent process and then when i kind of started digging into it really comes down to uh, our special uh, you know our guest tonight uh, dan who i think really this might be short of actually crowd you know really privately funding not even crowdfunding but privately funding your own game development for your for a game of your own choice this is about as close to what I've seen anybody in the private private citizen realm, not even the private business realm, getting to 
how do you make a game that does the things you want it to do and more importantly covers the IP that you want it to cover and sort of has a novel approach to it in that how do you find a good game that already works really well and then you basically modify that game so that it does reflect the IP that you want and there's an interesting convergence of a couple classic game properties that we want to talk about. So without without any further ado, what I'd like to do is turn it over to uh, to Dan uh, and kind of give us a little bit of uh, you know just a brief history of sort of how you got involved and what exactly is Team Dragon Punk and what are you doing with Shatterrun or the thing not named Shatterrun and XCOM 2. And for that lead up, actually tonight some incredible artists that we're working with and it's it's truly a privilege to be working with these these are been my heroes for a long time i have the opportunity to work alongside them my name is dan con i uh former dan you're breaking up just a little bit man sorry can you hear me now? are you good yeah yeah you're good all right daniel i'm a u.s army signal corps captain. i uh, actually and uh 9-11 that, that very day. I spent 10 years in fighting two wars. I uh, got a few years ago. Um, I had the opportunity to get a degree in computer science, and I've been working as a lead senior software engineer or cloud architect here in Washington, D.C. Now, um, video games have always been my passion, and especially Shadowrun. I actually credit Shadowrun when we learned the, um, the tactical... Uh, critical thinking skills that I used in the army, uh, surprisingly enough. So um, when I got out, that was, was having the opportunity or or making just a, a mod. That was my first go-to because it's always been my. Now regarding Team Dragon Punk itself, uh, that from uh, this, is, this is a little tragic. I don't know how to talk. That came from a design of what my father and I wanted to make. We always went to talk about making the game together. He he was shot and killed on May first, twenty fifteen. So we never got to see that real uh, realized. And uh, he left me just a little bit of money, not not a lot. Uh, he was a hardworking, just blue collar individual like most of us. And um, since you know I have all my bills paid, I was figured that I'd put that money towards game that he and I always wanted to do. He was uh, I was actually the Shadowrun fan and he was the XCOM fan. So um, this this whole story of Donald Connery and um, uh, if you want to fact check me that's it's fine. Go to Google, type in Donald Connery and you'll see his obituary. We're coming up on his um Hey, hey Dan, you're I, I think we got you up to that last point. You're you're kind of uh, cutting in and out a little bit with the internet. The uh, just real, real quick, the uh, fan, in case anybody didn't catch that, uh, this is something that he he sort of generated in uh, as a a way of connecting back with his dad that he lost uh, pretty tragically. And, and it's a I, I really apologize for the internet connection if you guys aren't weren't catching Dan earlier. Uh, we'll let him try to pitch a little bit of that again here in just a second. Uh, because it's a really, really, uh, really interesting story that kind of gives you a lot about uh, why somebody, uh, why somebody goes through things they do to, uh, to put out something that is is technically like a, a public, you know, a public offering. Uh, so, Dan, would you mind giving us just a, a quick recap of the last part about sort of how you came about this with your uh, father, if you don't mind? 
Yeah, sorry that I'm cutting out. I actually have, um, the, um, unfortunately, I think my headphone might be the issue. So, it's an honor, my, and uh, we're still actually going through the trial right now. And uh, XCOM was always his passion, whereas Shadowrun was my passion. And now, you know, since then, it's been about a year later, and, and I'm uh, I'm in an emotionally good place really going on because we have built such a fan base and we have such amazing artists to work with um you know you know as you noted before it's it's really kind of developed from just you know this be cool to that may actually have potential made into uh it's a a great game and if not a triple a you know a very indie game no, and I think that I think that would be uh, probably where I would I would classify, you know, any classify what your your efforts going to probably land in at uh, is somewhere less than a triple A, but probably around the indie game level, which by the way is awfully good in many cases. Uh, now, it's kind of interesting uh, that it it sounds like your dad was the one who was into the video game and you were into the tabletop, and that I normally would have thought that that would have been slightly inverted is that what you does that kind of surprise you at all how that worked out that's about i mean uh think of what XCOM was 10 years ago so but i mean not only was i into Shadowrun tabletop i did like the uh the 1994 sega genesis Shadowrun game was just amazing why you know everything else was sonic the hedgehog and not to knock sonic the hedgehog uh the 1994 sega game and then the uh, Super NES game was great too, but I mean that had such a different at so unique to anything else at the market at the time. Yeah, no, I think that's I I remember that game from way back in the day. That was actually pretty awesome. Um, now I did I did have a couple of quick you know that's a that is a really cool sort of context for how you got involved in this. Um, what I'd like to do is kind of maybe we can break this up into, into some smaller discussions in terms of uh, kind of the different aspects of it. And if you don't mind, what I'd like to kind of uh, look into first is how you arrived at XCOM 2, you know, other than kind of the background piece, like what about that game in terms of what you see in XCOM 2 today? Uh, it, that's what's driving you to working towards that for Axis product as the, the base for this for lack of a better term, epic mod that you're doing. Right. You know, that's a, a great story as well. You know, as, as might know that we in the army practice something called uh, planning backwards. So the is to, to game that you want to make at what level you want to make. And, and, you know, our first thought is going to be, yes, we want the most expensive next gen game possible and then figure out how to actually make that feasible. And, you know, since I don't happen to have 16, 50 million laying on hand, I figured the best bet would be to make uh, a mod. And, you know, while I uh, have a lot of indie development, I have a lot of friends who are indie developers. It's, it's really an oversaturated market right now as far as indie games. And, you know, as I looked at bi the business models of League of Legends, Dota, I, I felt that there was recognition that had potential to be made into bigger games. No, no, no. That's pretty interesting that you that you took that took that kind of route on it. Um, one of the things I, I I was kind of curious. I now I assumed that XCOM 
like b- before I understood that, you know, there was a bit of a, you know, an emotional connection to the game. I assumed you were really leaning towards, uh, you know, starting with that turn-based aspect, which is really classic tabletop inspired sort of thing. I thought that was maybe where you started your baseline at was just that, that initial uh, uh, tactical turn-based piece, which then allowed you to have a bit more of the shadow run piece. Uh, does, it, does that kind of make sense? And that's a completely fair assessment and, and certainly was critical in the design decision. We were actually talking with CD Projekt Red about potentially making mod for Cyberpunk uh, 2077. So it would be Dragpunk 2077. Um, however, you know, again, as we looked at the modability and, and we wanted did we just want, did we just want to make another first person game that have Magic and Dragon, did we capture that tabletop feel? And and then I can go on this for hours and I won't, but my theory as to why Shadowrun has never made a truly successful video game conversion is because it's a person's strategic action elements. So at least it was when it was its most popular. And that especially in the game environment that we have today is is just not something that goes well with especially console players and i know we want to talk about why xcom 2 isn't on console and i feel like that's one of the decisions as far as what drove sales or the very poor sales of xcom 1 in 2012 on consoles hmm. that's nah, that's pretty interesting the uh it, it's it's one of those where, and this is something I've actually engaged a couple of the people, uh, like some of the original guys that worked on Shadowrun about this, that you would think that a game that was very much steeped in, ha- in, you would think that would be a game from an IP standpoint that would translate really well into a video game since it's, I mean, effectively a large part of the game is jacking into the Matrix and, you know, playing a video game for realsies, if you will. Um but one of the things that I that always struck me was that uh, using a video game to tell to get through the mechanics of, of the Shadowrun tabletop, which by you know admittedly so was a, a pretty dense set of rules. There that was a lot more complex than I think your average you know D twenty system that a lot of people were used to in in like Dungeons and Dragons stuff like that. Uh, and it seemed like that would be a really great way to sort of streamline a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the numbers and the number crunching behind the game and getting after kind of the meat of it. Uh, I think I think HBS did a good job of that, but I could clearly see if they were, you know, the progression in in something like an XCOM 2 where it's a much more uh, it's a much more sharper, more granular kind of look, much more updated, uh, a visually stunning game in a lot of ways uh, that offers a lot of different challenges from a tactical standpoint. So I, I can very much see where you're going through that when you, you know, working through Firaxis as a, as a, you know, like I said, a platform for this mod. Uh, and, and I, the way you describe it and kind of the way it seems like it's going, mod is maybe even a, may, maybe an imperfect term for it because it, it's a pretty wholesale change in terms of what you intend to lay over on top of the XCOM 2 framework, correct? Correct. I mean, and technically it would be a total conversion. What it really is, is a rapid prototype. I want to give all credit and sales, money and everything to Firaxis, but this is a starting point. Uh, it's the art of the possible when you're talking about doing rapid prototypes in, in, in any industry. 
adding here, it's having a playable game uh, built on whatever engine you choose. So when you go to Kickstarter and say 2019, when we're planning to do it, uh, you know, it's not just vaporware. It's not just and promises and a few concept pieces. Here's a playable game that you can go download right now. Now imagine what this would be like if we had, you know, the opportunity to make it clear. And, you know, you touched on some also great points about um, the rules for Shadowrun when it's done be behind the scenes because they are so complex. And that's where, you know, video games and game code shines because you don't have to worry about that. But again, you know, true, the old, uh, old Shadowrun, was about legwork. It was about the the strategy and and building up before you came in and you did an extraction run. You know, and the only game that I've really seen to to try to impact that aspect lately is Clancy's The Siege. You know, everybody's talking about the division and the division looks amazing, but The Siege has these kind of planning mechanics beforehand, and that you really haven't seen in a very long time. I can't remember the last game. You know, it's probably a previous iteration of, uh, you know, the old Rainbow Six, you know, the older Rainbow Six crowd. And if if you had that sort of uh, planning mode in, in any kind of game, I've, I've, that's half the battle and you know, really half the fun for me is kicking, kicking that around sort of the virtual sand table, if you will, and kind of working through that classic who's going to go where and do what. Because, uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the combat in those games in reality is you know, reality, you know, as far as gaming goes, is actually pretty, pretty kinetic. It goes, it's in and out and it's pretty, it's over pretty fast. As long as you, if you have a solid plan and you can put yourself in a tactical advantage or in a good position, um, or you do a good job of setting the conditions, if you will, uh, you, you can dominate a fight real, real quick. Uh, so those, those kind of games can be a lot of fun if you have that that sort of planning component or that legwork component where you can do things to shape or set the conditions before you actually have to engage in combat. It, it, it right. And to go off topic, but what we're seeing now with, with games as a whole is we're, we want something different than just people running with new plans, any amount of strategy. You know, we had these amazing the SOCOM series, SOCOM 2 being my favorite, SOCOM 3 was also great. And, you know, that had permadeath, obviously Counter-Strike was probably even a bigger example of that. And, you know, for a long time, we've gone to now just respawn, run around with noob cannons, uh, some quick tit, quick twitch, got to know the maps, but not a lot of strategy behind that. You know, and now we're seeing the emergence of the Dark Souls, of roguelike and purpose, where we want a deeper experience in something that engages us mentally. And, you know, and that's, I think where we see these, uh, the reemergence, these planning and strategic aspects. Yeah, no, man, I, I think you're, I think you're kind of spot on with that. So what I'd like to do instead of just sort of dominating, I'd like to kind of open it up to the team, uh, you know, pokey bait Zell. Did you guys have any, uh, sort of tee up questions for Dan, uh, as we kind of talk through like sort of how they, you know, sort of the guts of how they're making the conversion. No, I obviously don't know much about, you know, coding or anything of that sort, but I mean, for people that are looking for to maybe go down the similar path to what you're trying to do with, you know, their own game or their own idea, you know, where's a good place to start? What's a good thing to, to kind of look at any resources you tapped into when you started working on this, or did you go to school for this? Like how, you know, where should they start if they want to do the same thing? Well, 
a uh, very good question. Getting involved in in the mod community is um, obviously the first best place to start. Uh, you as even being a senior software engineer, I, I won't lie, I came to this you know a, a little arrogant and was qu very quickly humbled. Um, especially specific to XCOM 2 comes from Long War Studios, the uh, the original Long War mod for I say XCOM 1 is actually the XCOM Enemy Unknown in, from 2012, not XCOM 1, the first XCOM from forever. And they have just been incredible. They're on Nexus mods right now. They're the just get, getting involved in the forums and the community. They've made free mods. You can kind of um, uh, pick those apart from them. There's plenty of open source available, uh, free, uh, cheap if not free, uh, material out there to learn from for anyone. Hi, hello. Are we still having uh, microphone yep. issues? Or? Yep, no, we, we got you. Uh, we're just making sure. It, like I said, you're cutting in and out, but it's getting a little bit better. Um, so quick quick question on this one. Uh, sorry, I had a, had a misfire on the computer there. Uh, one of the questions I, I was kind of wondering about is how you went about, once you decided what you wanted to do, which was basically convert XCOM to, how did you go about finding the people to help you? And who, who are some of the types of people that are helping form Team Dragon Punk? Because, I mean, you're really the plank owner, but there's you, you have a growing uh, sort of group of folks that are out there really trying to put some real effort into this. Uh, so how did you, like, what are the type of people you are in contact with that are really actually helping construct this? And sort of how did you go about that? You know, and, and I went about it through a very non-traditional way. And, and some might say that this was an act in, in, in a community in California or down in Florida where they uh, have, you know, a lot of game developers to, to choose from. I might have gone about it differently, but I'm uh, browsing DeviantArt, browsing, you know, uh, ArtStation, really looking for a, a new book or a new field, you know, what would the, you know, I think the strength of Shadowrun, I guess now Dragonpunk is, is always been the universe so much, you know, every, every game has guns, a lot of games have magic, but the universe that really draws them in. Now, as far as the art, um, through called a, uh, iterative agile development process where goes through sprint and be a month we have an idea of what we want we try to achieve those objectives and then reevaluate them next month and then grow the team uh and have more specific ideas of what we want now how that is out to I mean the our team with a core team and, and thankfully everyone on the core team is now coming with us to, to round two which we're just starting um, we've added, you know, these new industry veterans like Jonah Lowe, which I'm going to call and mention tonight as, you know, they've seen this progress. Now, Jonah Lowe is the incredible artist who did the dragons from Scott. Hey, uh, we've been talking to him on Twitter, uh, up to now, but officially tonight, we are admitting that Jonah Lowe, the dragon artist from Skyrim is joining the team to make the final draft the XCOM 2 total you know that's pretty that's pretty impressive man we don't we don't usually break a little bit of news but uh you know just make sure everybody kind of heard that well uh, the 
I want to say, I want to help me out, make sure I'm pronouncing his name name correct. So Jonah Loeb, is that right? Loeb, L-O-B-E. Jonah Loeb. All right. He is uh, one of the lead artists for uh, in Skyrim that developed a lot of the dragons there, or at least the dragons. And uh, he is now working with Team Dragon Punk to help him out uh, from some of the art- artistic pieces there. Reference the uh, the great the great dragons that he will be uh, unleashing in the uh, in the Dragon Punk universe, if you will. That's actually really cool, man. That that is that's pretty neat because and that's one of the things that by the way caught my eyes i would see a lot of a lot of folks uh you know like said through deviant art and things like that different artists that you'd engaged uh, kind of responding and getting involved with you and i thought that was pretty pretty phenomenal and, and you've actually correct me if i'm wrong but you actually had some folks from um some actual game developers that have worked on you know some pretty significant titles that are you know putting a little bit of uh, effort in with you aren't they yeah, we uh, have Jess from got off Rise of the Tomb Raider. That that was a little different because I did know Jessica from college actually. Uh, but when I found um, Facebook that she was skating off and converted, I, I had to grab her. And, and you know, um, I think a lot of this comes from the emergence of uh, freelance game developers uh, now, um, as opposed to maybe ten years ago, it would be most salary so it's more acceptable for them to be able to go on social media and say hey i just came off this game and you know it's not violating any nda or non-closure agreement somebody that's an industry veteran like that done some incredible work and then you uh you direct message them go hope they answer and i got a, a 50 50 rate about you know, if people actually answer, we're able to kind of show our passion about what we're doing and get them on the team. But you know, so sometimes you miss them. I think that's about fair. That's that's usually how we get uh, how we get a lot of things done. Is and and which is interesting uh, because you have a very social media based sort of activity. It's it's usually very very transparent when you're engaging with people. Um, so that's one of the things I, I kind of find neat about it. And and for for the record, actually. Um, that's how that's how we actually got a hold of got a hold of Dan is you know Pokey and I in particular had been following his work on uh, on Twitter he's very he's got a very active presence there keeping folks up to date on what Team Dragon Punk's doing and you know I was I was like well you know this guy's got a, a pretty interesting take on how uh, how you can take a different direction in terms of game design or game development rather and I've just pinged him on uh, on Twitter and you know couple messages away and here you go we've got a we've got a good conversation going so uh, i i think that's one of the things that uh, is interesting in that you have access in today's world something even maybe five years ago like with the the saturation of the way social media and connectivity works the ability to reach out to artists the ability to reach out to technical experts to help bring your vision into reality I think you're hitting it right at about the time when all the tools are there for you to actually access. Cause I suspect, you know, like I said, even five years ago, there's probably some folks with either some of the, some of the resources to do it, some of the, some of the willpower, the know-how uh, and the vision, but it was really difficult to connect into the right people often. Uh, so I think you, you, you have a lot of things kind of, converging together uh to help help kind of make this reality i, I suspect yeah I, and i completely agree. five years ago, and 
this is possible. And you know, if you look at uh, Dota League of Legends, a lot of these mods that have become very popular are developer making for changes and not the the team that we have being able to do a total universe change because it's the the coordination and the ability the dropbox the tools not there at that level to to really have a full cloud-based web um game development studio essentially and uh, uh you brought sorry brought up another good point <clears throat> sorry hello yeah yeah go ahead man yeah you're just cutting in and out a little bit go ahead yep so, uh, uh another good point out that i, I totally just lost question no, that's okay, man. We're 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 fight we're fighting through it now. It'll be it'll be all right. It'll probably come to you in a minute. So, just out of curiosity, I mean, I know Jason seems to, to always find them as well. But you know, when you're looking for talent to help with the game and, and pull people in, where do you typically go? Is it from multiple sources, or is it a particular place you go, a certain website? You know, where where do you pull these people from, and how do you you know connect with them and, and pull them into the project? Okay, and a good another good question. Um, you know, coming from an agile Scrum based uh, software development perspective, it's not always the most efficient one. The difference, the exact opposite, of waterfall where you know exactly who you're hiring, you know exactly what you want. The problem is you, you know, especially when we were turned down by Microsoft for making a show run game, uh, and we had to develop a new IP. Uh, we knew that it could be a blessing in disguise and it could be a fresh start as far as you know, uh, maybe updating the look and feel, but we didn't know what that look and feel would be. And so that's where it, it's just going and doing all the hours of browsing DeviantArt, of browsing Twitter art, uh, even Tumblr. And I'll be sitting there during meetings all with, like, I'll say, influential clients about you know web architecture and I'll just be browsing Tumblr, browsing DeviantArt, hoping that it still works safe, and and trying to find a look and feel. And and it's a continuing process. I, I just found uh, uh, an amazing artist artist on Fur Affinity uh, because we have a lot of mythological creatures that are going to be, you know, having anthropomorphism, and that happened. This uh, care ID or care was was hosting most of our art. No. Now, this is one of the interesting kind of offshoots of this is as you have found uh, particularly artists in particular, uh, you've actually become kind of an a neat little champion of some of their work. And what we've seen you do, or at least here recently, is you'll put a ping out through social media and, you know, point people towards their art, particularly if they have a Kickstarter or GoFundMe or something like that. And it's usually for a specific product. Here recently you had uh, you had one of your one of the artists that, that you found that was actually putting together, you know, frankly, a coloring book about mythological creatures. That might have been who you were talking about. And um, they had a very, very low, low end Kickstarter. I mean, it's like a dollar to five dollars, uh, that kind of thing. But it was a really, really neat little little project that they were working on. And it, it I found it interesting because I could actually uh, you pointed me at something that I found interesting because of the subject matter. But the story behind it of, hey, this, you know, this is actually an artist who's trying to sell her art. Uh, and it was pretty good and solid. And if I get a coloring book out of it, it's something my, my kid will like because he enjoys that kind of thing. So would you mind kind of uh, touching base on a little bit of that, a little bit of that kind of aspect? Because like I said, you, you're, you're becoming a, a 
a bit of a patron of the of the indie artist, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you just reminded me of my uh, the point I was going to make uh, before is that uh, I'm not and I'm uh, you know a coder, and I'm pretty much the stereotypical coder where uh, we're not we're not extroverts. We're very introverted. And as a compliment that you said we have a, a great social presence, and not because out there look for attention, it's because we're trying to have this transparency. You know, when I was looking at what it would take to have a video game Kickstarter, and, and especially a successful one with Shadowrun, and you know, to where you're asking for millions of dollars, and it comes through trust of the gamers, and you have to earn that trust. And a lot of these game studios have lost that by not being transparent, by getting millions of dollars disappearing for years on end into development without releasing any updates. And then four years later saying they ran out of money or it doesn't work. And I really feel the kicks, at least for video games, the Kickstarter glory days are are kind of over. Like we've all become shrewd stakeholders and investors now when it comes to Kickstarter. Um, So that being said, if I can take this opportunity to be social and promote these artists, then I definitely want to, you know, again, we're trying to have a Kickstarter in 2019. Anything could happen. I could get married and just decide that I want to focus on my family. I could get hit by a bus, you know, knock on wood. So right now, uh, I want to try to promote Buddy who on drag and who's you know taking the time out of their lives to contribute to this. Um, this is what could happen in 2019. But if by that time we've been able to to boost the the careers of everyone who's contributed, success. That that is a that is a really really uh, cool outlook on it, man. That's one that and and I think you. We were joking, by the way, we were joking about this off to the side. The, um, you, you really captured a lot of uh, where we came from in terms of why, you know, how we started the podcast a little bit in terms of, um, you know, when you look at what we, it, it games as a service, basically, like it's a, it's a social, it's a social service and, and connective tissue that allows people to develop like uh, relationships and and networks, like social networks in the classical sense. Uh, but it's also a, you know, a great entertainment value, much like you view cable or you know, internet, even without the games and all that other kind of good stuff. But it's really, it's really fascinating the way you describe that in terms of the transparency or the trust that the, the players and the game developers have. And this is something we've taught, we've commented on quite a bit, on this show and even when we've had uh some game developers on you know we've we've had some good discussions about this uh, what you know, really by the way do you get a guy that will ever say yeah you know what we're absolutely in this for the dollars like and in fact as little as we can put into the game and mo- the more money we can get out the better it is like you'll never find generally anybody that publicly says that um but a lot of guys you know they i mean everybody realizes it's a business generally uh and it is it is an interesting paradigm uh how do you how do you work with the players who ultimately are your customers uh if you are providing a service as opposed to a product uh, and that's kind of a it's a neat business model discussion that you know mbas time MMORM have written theses on 
Uh, and there's probably guys uh, coming up now that are that I guarantee you there is some MBA student somewhere who's writing a treatise on games as a, games as a service versus games as a product. Uh, and a lot of it comes down to trust and uh, communication, frankly, between the game developers and the actual customer base that they're attempting to receive money from. So uh, just fascinating the way you kind of you kind of frame that that part of the discussion. There. It, I think you're spot on. The one thing I'm like, about though, is you're not the game developers just trying to do as least amount of work to make the money. The game developers are trying to bring a vision to life. Is you know, it's those MBAs, it's and you know the people running the the corporations that are doing the risk of mitigation and and saying, oh, you know, we, we would love to to fund this, but there's just not a big enough player base, or you know, and they're spending more money on the actual promotion and marketing of the games than they actually do on the game development. And it, there, I know there's multiple sides to that you could say, you know, that's the, the nature of the. Uh, the AAA industry right now, but again, there's a very distinct difference between the devs and people who are and uh, doing all the logistics. No, <laughs> this this is eerily similar to a conversation that we've had probably half a dozen of times uh, on this exactly what you just described there. And I should have been probably more precise. Um, we've said it many times on this show that that very rare, like generally never, I would say. And I don't use the word never uh, a lot. It, you know, the people that show up and they're trying to produce the game that are like actually pouring coffee down their their face every morning and staying late and trying to trying to hit delivery dates and actually trying to produce something, they're doing it because they want to make a good game. Nobody doing that kind of work shows up because they don't want to make a good game that people like to play and they and, you know and be part of that. Uh, and you, you, you used what we refer to as the M word, which is marketing, uh, which actually does control most of the negative aspects uh, that game you know, players, i.e. customers, see when they interact with game development companies. It's not the game developers or the community managers often. Th those people are usually pretty, pretty tied into wanting, wanting the product to be really good. Um, whereas it, when you get into the corporative body, that is where it tends to be. Yes, we want a good product that will make money, but what we really want is a product that makes money. If it is good, that is better. You know that that sort of aspect. So that that's I should have been more precise, but I was in your, I was chuckling off Mike when you were laying this out because I was like, yep, you know, yeah, we we could have had this conversation with him like a year ago about any other any number of other games that we've talked about. <laughs> Well, yeah, and again, not to go off topic, but uh, doing research for this podcast to make sure I had everything accurate, I, I was looking at Microsoft, who uh, owns, and for people who don't know, who owns the rights to making Shadowrun, and is why we can cannot make a Shadowrun even mod. And and when they turned us down, I was just absolutely devastated because it's the only thing I wanted to do. Um, you know, but I found out that even though they're turning a, a five billion dollar profit on video games they are ranked sixth as far as video game makers because they, uh, especially in 2013 and 2014, they have no games that rate above a 90 on Metacritic. And, you know, well, there, there's certainly, I certainly have issues with games journalism, so don't get me wrong. Uh, Metacritic has, has been a generally acceptable litmus test as far as if a game is good or not, you know, plus or minus 10 points or so. Um, in anything that's not controversial. And the fact that 
Microsoft can make these platforms for these games, but games that are just kind of mediocre when it comes to player ratings, I think shows that you know a lot of it is marketing-driven game development versus the passion of the game makers. You know that's a that's a that's a really good point, Dan. The um, like I said, we we do have a a a short list of actual game developers that we that we personally know that we've we've interviewed on the show or uh, have relationships with you know outside the show and stuff. And that what you're describing is uh, actually one of the frustrating points for many of the actual game designer, game developer guys. You know the dudes in the trenches doing the work uh, to include you know guys that are you know that started that way and then rose up into the corporate parts, I would offer that the, um, just as, and I have nothing to back this up other than pure anecdotal observation. Uh, if you look at game companies where the people that are actually in some of the decision-making, uh, decision-making sort of positions actually started out in game design and game development, uh, those tend to be, more, much more interested in taking risks and working with players. And I say that literally purely from an anecdotal standpoint, but at least that's my personal interesting. And this is the only name I'm actually going to drop because it it was the only good experience I actually had with Microsoft is that their director of IP licensing for Microsoft at the time, anyway, uh, uh, Jeff Hogard, huge Shadowrun fan. And we, we were trying to get in touch with Microsoft for three months. It didn't get a reply for anyone. I wanted to make a Shadowrun model. Then finally, I guess an email got to him and he was like, hey, somebody trying to do Shadowrun. And he was very passionate about it. And then when he shot us you know, back down to the people to try to do negotiations and try to understand the legitimacy that's turned down. But it was only because he was passionate about the game and I believe was part um, uh, not Fossil, but was a contemporary of Jordan Weissman at the time that we even got an email at all from Microsoft. Now, see, that's the, that's the kind of thing that's interesting. It's it's when you have like the people that are in, that are uh, I, I guess connected to to the IP, you know, connected to the vision uh, in some way or, way or another. That's usually an emotional connection because they played it, they they enjoyed it, they had fun with their friends or you know with their family or whatever. Uh, so that's why they have this emotional connection to it because of those memories and they're, they're willing to, to help you out like that, or at least, you know, further make connections in that same sort of circle. Uh, so that's a, that, that's a pretty cool, that's a pretty cool little, uh, little story there, man. Um, now we are, we're coming up on about an hour on the show. We usually you go around between an hour and hour and a half, but, uh, what I would like to do, uh, if you don't mind, you tell it, tell people a little bit about the dragon punk website you've got. Cause I, I know you've just set it, set it up and you're still kind of getting it together, but what are, uh, where, what are ways that people can follow and reach you in terms of trying to keep up to date on, you know, the dragon punk conversion that, that uh, you're working on for XCOM too. Yeah, and thank you for that segue. And actually, I just uh, that was a Squarespace website that I kind of put up as a, a fan site. We now um, we just brought on a great web developer who's done a lot of uh, corporate development for Subaru and and others to make a, a really official website. And in fact, shortly in June, we should be trans- tran- tra- uh, transitioning to DragonPunk.com, but. Uh, for right now, it is www.dragonpunk.org, and 
Dragon Punk game. We're also on Facebook, but I'm going to be entirely honest. It's just retweeting what we put on Twitter. Uh, Twitter's the best way to contact us. And again, nothing, um, nothing's off limit. Ask us any question. We'll be entirely honest because that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to build the universe and win gamers trust in just trying to set a, a new refreshing paradigm from what's currently out there. Hey, can you throw that tw- uh, the, the Twitter address out again? Because I'm not sure I caught it. Twitter is at DragonPunkGame. Yep. Link to our website, dragonpunk.org. All right, cool. Thank you. Yep. And what we'll, we will also make sure that's tagged in the show notes for, the, for this. But uh, uh, if you guys follow uh, at Jason Larison or at Pokey Draven, like we, we all, we will, we can, we've generally retweeted a couple things that you've put out. Uh, so we'll make sure that our folks have your information there. But that's, that's actually kind of, uh, it's, Cool. You've got kind of a roadmap laid out on this, I think, in your head. And so that kind of leads me to, to kind of one of the big questions. I think you've said uh, 2019 is somewhere in your, your hard target date. When, If you were going to put a blob on the wall, like in a big window, when do you think um, the actual conversion might be available either via Steam or your website download? When, do you, when would you think is a practical window of time? fully acknowledging that there's about a million and one variables in this, uh, that, that people might be able to experience a, a full conversion mod of X, of XCOM two. Well, Jason, I'll, I'll do you one better. Um, I'm going to announce this tonight. I've announced this any other time. We're actually releasing the XCOM two multiplayer mod that we've been developing for, for actually about a year now with for development, uh, July 1st. Because, again, on our website we're, and on our Twitter account, we said we're releasing this quarterly. We just re- released some very powerful tools, mod tools, publicly April 1st. Um, so, to co-op mod July 1st. And then we're going to start working on the trailer, the graphic novel that we hope to have done about January 1st. Now, as far as the final total conversion mod, again, that's going to be come towards 2019 as well. That's going to parallel when we do our Kickstarter to show, you know, here's what we have done. Wouldn't it be great if we could make this into a, uh, a AAA game? And a lot of that, unfortunately, is driven by the art asset pipeline. Uh, we have to you know, get great artists like Jonah Loeb to make the dragons. We have to rig the dragons. We have to add particle effects to We have to script the dragons. And that just, that's the what takes a lot of the time. So um, I'll be coding uh, mods, great useful mods, just XCOM 2 vanilla in, uh, until that time. And, and the last thing I want to say on that note is the additional funding. I'm going to put another $500,000 of funding into this if we get about halfway through and uh, we still have the That's coming from... Uh, being a, a wounded warrior and being a veteran, that's actually coming through the VA loan that we all get when we get out. Well, you don't automatically get it. You still have to apply, but it's backed by the VA. So this will be, what I, um, again, both my vision and the VA opportunity. Uh, yeah. So in case I know you cut out right there in the middle of it, just make sure everybody fully understood that. Uh, a lot of this is not is not crowdfunded. It's really coming from uh, from Dan, 
in terms of a private funding as the main source for for raw resources for uh, you know for developing this conversion. Uh, and a lot of that is built, you know, basically through a variety of different opportunities. One, uh, it's honoring his father in terms of uh, you know some some of the resources that he was left. You know, try to to build that game that they were looking at building together uh, to kind of finishing that vision, but some of the opportunities that he's gotten through the VA in terms of uh, some, uh, some financial loans and stuff like that, that you can, you know, business loans and school loans, frankly, that you can secure from the VA. Uh, and so th this is a, again, I think I find this is just a fascinating uh, story about how you can turn a vision into a reality or the process that you can see this happening. And one of the things I wanted to point out to folks, uh, and we do apologize for our audio. It's, it's, it may be on our end. We're not sure, but you know, we're, we're going to ask Dan to come back at some point uh, here in the next month or two uh, and have another discussion about some of this stuff. Cause we've really enjoyed having him on, but I, I do want to point out something to a lot of our listeners. Uh, what you're hearing is something that's pretty unusual. It, it is literally uh, understanding where somebody's vision came from like true vision and what it takes to actually make that vision a reality which is often much harder and it takes a lot longer uh, than anybody realizes uh, and hands down I, and I've talked to, to several several guys deep in the game development industry uh, you know, really couple one of them pretty well known uh, they have uniformly told me that the one thing that everybody, generally gets wrong first is they they underestimate the amount of work the amount of time and the resources it takes to actually deliver anything of of import in the uh game like of importance if you will uh, of significance now that's not that your work isn't significant but the scope of it is what we're talking about the scope of what dan has laid out for us with team dragon punk is is pretty pretty big it's literally just shy of ground up making your own game like basically you know getting online and then getting a copy of unreal yourself which you can do pretty quickly uh, and then trying to build your own game out of it uh, this is you know literally somewhere above that so i don't want to i don't want to soft sell that in terms of the scope of what he's trying to do i also would like to say that the practical timeline he's laid out is is pretty realistic for for how he's working on this. How many times have we seen you know full up game development studios with anywhere from 200 to 500 actual dedicated you know folks working on a game taking five to six years to turn out a quote unquote triple A game? Well, we're not really looking for a triple A game out of this. What we're looking for is a really good uh, immersive world that's built around another platform. A conversion super mod, if you will, the epic mod. I like epic, so I say epic a lot. Uh, but I, I did want to point out that I think what Dan's laid out for us is one, uh, a really interesting vision of taking that IP, uh, the Shadowrun IP, which he he fell in love with and enjoyed quite a bit with his father uh, and probably some friends grown up along the way. And how do you bring that to life in a different format? You know, and and that in itself is a, a pretty spectacular vision to actually not just think that, but really put yourself on the line, put your skin in the game to do this. So I really appreciate Dan coming on. Yeah, and um, thank you for ahead. having me. I will definitely, uh, if, if I get invited back, uh, we'll make sure the audio is set up. I'll have my new origin 
uh, computer since we, um, I guess we impressed some people there and we're getting sponsored with uh, Origin Equipment. So I'll be, I'll be up that we are being, but it was also part because I, uh, been a big fan of Origin in the first place. So I was happy to use their equipment, uh, to begin with. So, um, by then we'll have completely new gear and we'll be ready to go. No, man, that, that's awesome. We're definitely going to invite you back, brother. Um, so what we do normally do here is we, uh, throw some shout outs to people. We'll kind of go down the list and, uh, it's kind of free form, whatever, whatever, whatever you need to give a shout out to, or whoever you need to give a shout out to. Uh, and then we'll kind of, uh, draw this one up. So, uh, Pokey, if you don't mind, uh, I'll let you lead us off for shout outs tonight. Yeah. I mean, shout out to you, man, for coming on. I really appreciate you coming in. It was great to hear from, you know, an actual developer, you know, working on a kind of an indie game or indie mod or overhaul or however you want to phrase it. But, you know, I think you really hit the nail on the head that it's great to have transparency and that's a lot of uh, what we lack in current game development. So I think it's great that, you know, you coming on here is actually a, a really good show of exactly what that means for, for gamers. I think it's great that you're out here and doing this. So for sure, we'll, we'll have you again and I really appreciate you showing up. So thanks, man. All right, Bate, shout-outs, brother? Uh, yeah, I would like to give a shout-out um, to our guest. Um, loved having you on, dude. Um, can't wait to play the mod, um, or the game, I should say. Um, let's see, what else? Shout-out to Weezer. Put out the uh, the White Album. Was it yesterday, two days ago? It's a pretty good album. Highly recommend uh, everybody go give it a listen. And I think that'd be it. All righty. Uh, Zell, shout-outs? Um... Um, you know, I had all this time to prepare. I, I don't prepare these very well. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Dan, really, thanks for coming out. Um, you know, we have a, when we have a great guest on, we love to you know hear from him again, have him come back. You know, if you ever have anything um, and you want to come talk um, on our show, just you know, give us a heads up. Absolutely. Uh, and I will, Dan. I will uh, pitch you for now. What What do you want for a shout out, brother? Yeah. Uh, not only the Dragon Punk team, everybody who's really turned this vision into reality. Because uh, you know, when I started, I thought I had an idea of what it would be, and they helped point out every single hole and and turn it into a real universe. But I also want to shout out to Hairbrain uh, and Mitch. Elman. He was he was just incredible. And when I was brokenhearted about not being able to do this from Microsoft, and, and for those who don't know. Uh, Jordan Weissman and, and Mitch, the original developers of Shadowrun, and they have to license Shadowrun, their game that they invented, from Microsoft to make Shadowrun. So uh, he was incredible. He talked to me, you know, said it was it was the end of the world, and and I have nothing but great things to say about about them. So you know, if if this does become big and you see this, please know that you know this isn't us trying to compete with. Uh, Shadowrun. This is really a homage and us trying to honor how incredible it is and how it's affected our lives. So thank you again for having me on. All right, man. Uh, so for shout outs for me this week, um, a couple of, a couple of significance. Uh, I would like to shout out to Walt Disney, Magic Kingdom, Orlando, Florida. Uh, that might be the funnest place on earth, but it's also hell on earth come about day four of a five day trip there. Just throwing that out there. Uh, since I, I I was there last week, uh, I just I came back. First family vacation I've had in like 10, 15 years or so. Uh, so we, we went full on with the, the Walt Disney World thing. That was uh, an incredible time. And it's much updated since the last time I was there when I was like five, you know, 35 years ago. Uh, it is literally a, uh, a pretty 
pretty fascinating thing. Huge Star Wars everywhere. They're all over that. Uh, so big shout out to Mickey and the gang down at the castle in, in Orlando. Uh, appreciate that. And I do want to give a shout out to Dan for, uh, for coming on uh, again, fascinating, fascinating story, but really it's it just good stuff to uh, just good stuff to talk about in terms of somebody who knows what they're doing, knows what they want and they're actively going after it. Uh, and they're actually taking some risk to do it. So we, so that's my big shout out for the week. And on a separate note, I would like to, uh, to shout out to the CrossFit Open that we just had uh, last month. A lot of people put in a lot of great work around the country. So I know I'm talking to a bunch of nerd neck beard people. I, I acknowledge that. But I know somewhere out there, there's at least 1% of all of you that listen to this that do work out on a normal basis. So I do give a shout out to the, uh, to the CrossFit Open that we just had uh, this last month. I did pretty solid. I, I feel pretty good about my local time, so or uh, my local scores rather. So anyway, hey, Daniel, I'm proud of you for this. Most you tell us within the first five minutes. No so, joke, well, man. Yeah, I, I legit. I, well, okay, like for the record, I don't. I, I do not consider myself a crossfitter. I consider myself this is somebody that goes to one of their gyms because they have all the all the stuff there. I like to look, to work out on. So. That's, that's, that's really where it comes down to for me, because I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, if you want to know if somebody's like either vegan or a CrossFitter, they'll tell you quick. <laughs> so just give them a second, but, uh, all right guys. So that's my shout out. And then we're going to call this is uh, episode 99, uh, here be dragons. Uh, this one is in the bag. Uh, and we are building up to our, our 100th episode, uh, which will be coming up in the next week or so. Uh, we're still, we're trying to put together something for you. So if you guys have topics that you want us to hit up, hit us up on, uh, could be AMA type stuff. It could be anything you want. Uh, literally let us know. We're trying to put together, you know, the different segments, uh, that we want to have on the show. And, and really we're trying to bring in some of our guests, like maybe some of our older guests that we've, we haven't had on the show in like a couple of years, uh, just to try to celebrate, you know, three guys that's grown into four guys that's grown into, you know, kind of actually a website with a blog and a thing that we've been doing for a little while. Uh, very informal and certainly not high quality by any stretch of the imagination, but we do try to have a lot of fun. Uh, and then we do try to be responsive to the folks that, uh, that, uh, engage with us, uh, on this, uh, our endeavor to chat about video games and random pop culture stuff. So without, without further ado, we're going to land the plane guys. So good night. And good luck. Yep. Thank you for having me on. Congratulations on 100th episode. Thank you.